Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Feckin' Metal. I'm your host, Fergal Trainer, and this week I've gone for the cold open approach, um, having launched straight into the interviews each previous week, but I don't think that format really works because I have to do the introduction while the guest is there with me, and it seems a bit awkward. So I've decided to go for this more commonly used approach, the cold open. I don't know if that's what it's called in podcasting. I think I'm using the television term there. Somebody might correct me if they want. Um, but yes, so this week I'm going to be speaking to Jerry Mulholland. He is the guitarist from the uh, Northern Ireland-based band Rabbit Bitch of the North. So they've been around for around 15 years or so, or thereabouts. Um, so some early years were a bit on and off, but... Uh, we discussed that later in the interview, but Jerry was kind enough to give me about an hour or so of his time uh, a few nights ago, and we started talking about maybe the early days, I think, of, of Rabbit Bitch of the North, and then we talked about various different topics to do with heavy metal and our uh, mutual dislike for extreme metal as well, hopefully not alienating too many fans of feckin' metal, but I've never made it a secret that I don't really like extreme metal. Um, we talk a good bit about uh, The Siege of Limerick, which Rabbit Bitch of the North have played at, uh, few times and and other topics which i think will be of interest uh, and a few unexpected topics as well came up um one of which is at the start of the episode i won't spoil it but it was certainly something unexpected for me and maybe foolishly i asked a question that i didn't consider the answer for uh, and then i was met with an answer that was quite surprising so thanks jerry for being so candid in your answers and upfront in in the discussion um i first discovered rabbit bitch of the north in about I'd say 2016 or 2015 on Spotify. I believe their single Defending Two Castles was at one point available on Spotify. It's not any longer, but their first full-length album, uh, Nothing But A Bitter Taste, is available on Spotify. I would recommend listening to it if you like traditional-sounding heavy metal. Uh, Joe, the singer, has a very high-pitched uh, vocal style, um, kind of like Rob Halford in on the song Painkiller is what I compare it to. That's kind of what his vocal delivery sounds like to me, so if you're into that style of metal you probably enjoy this. Uh, there's a lot of melody in there as well. But yeah, I first discovered them when they supported... Uh, sorry, I first saw them live when they supported Night Demon in 2017 uh, at On The Rocks, around the back of the Voodoo Lounge in Dublin. That was a fantastic show and spoke to the band that night and they were all very friendly and, and welcoming. Um, and then I saw them play again another show with um, Midnight Force in Fibber McGee's uh, around 2018. It's about two years ago almost exactly now because uh, one of the photos came up as a memory on Google Memories for me there recently. So... Um, that was also a great show. If you do get the chance to see them, whenever the hell we're allowed to go back to a gig, they play in Dublin and uh, Northern Ireland uh, in Belfast regularly, so they're well worth going to see. Um, really good live band. Just in some other heavy metal and hard rock news, uh, I might do this at the start of the episode, just a couple of tidbits of things that have caught my attention. Uh, I might do this each week. So uh, I recently purchased Rob Halford's autobiography called Confess. This one I've been waiting for for a long time. I read K.K. Downing's autobiography when it was released. I think I... Uh, last through that in about three days that was a really good read I thought and Rob's I've only, I'm only about three chapters in three or four chapters in at the moment but already it's you can tell it's going to be an excellent book I love the style in which it's delivered it reminds me of Ozzy Osbourne's first autobiography which was clearly written with a ghostwriter but at the same time you feel like the person who is speaking like obviously obviously you're speaking in the first person in an autobiography but you you feel like it's Ozzy's voice and you definitely feel like this is Rob's voice from interview clips that I've seen with him or interviews I've read with him uh, that he's given you know I feel like this is written in Rob's voice so I can't remember the guy who did the ghostwriting but they did an excellent job it doesn't seem forced or inauthentic or anything like that it's really good so i'd recommend that and also there was news today that acdc are releasing a new album most likely they haven't come out and said it but they've been leaving little clues all over the place so um it seems to be called power up i got an email today with the lineup on it so it's angus young stevie young on rhythm guitar uh cliff williams back on bass phil rudd back on drums and of course brian johnson is back in the role of singer so a lot of people departed from acdc in the last few years you had cliff williams leaving at the end of the tour with axel rose you had Phil Rudd being arrested for threatening to kill somebody and possessing methamphetamine. And you had um, Brian Johnson, uh, with, who was suffering severe hearing loss. So all that seems to be behind everybody, forgive and forget. And so that, to me, is really good news. 2021, standing in a stadium, listening to ACDC and a beer in my hand. I can't imagine a better way to celebrate the other end of the coronavirus pandemic uh, that seems like 
something that's unattainable at the moment but hopefully i mean i'm sure acdc are going to be booking a world tour hopefully in 12 months time i can look back in this episode and go yeah that happened anyway that's enough of that i just thought the listener might be interested in those tidbits there um so i'm going to go straight into my interview with jerry mulholland from rabbit bitch of the north enjoy this is jerry mulholland welcome to the show jerry all right, Fergal, it's nice to be on your podcast. I'm really glad to be speaking with you this evening. Thanks very much for joining. Um, so I was just talking to you off air there. So um, I actually have met you before in person. I met you at a gig. Uh, you were supporting Night Demon in On the Rocks in Dublin several years ago. Um, but I, I, I've only seen you twice, and um, I was doing a bit of research just because of that. And in my, in my little bit of research that I did, I found out that Rabbit Bitch of the North have actually been gone since 2005. Is that correct? No, that's, I don't know where you got that from. Oh, yes, did I? <laughs> Is that wrong? <laughs> yes. Um, what can I say? There's like, you know, a stunted part of the history of the band where it, it probably actually stems back earlier than this because me and Joe went to school with okay. each other. So, you know, um, we finished school in 2001. Rabbit Bits of the North, in essence, was really me and him playing in our bedrooms. So, it, you know... It actually does stem back further, but then it didn't really kick off until we met Chris and we met Chris when we went to university. So then we had a couple of years in the garage. So we were, you know, a garage band, but then we, um, well, Joe decided he wasn't interested anymore. And then that was, um, that was it really. Um, inactivity for like a year, maybe a year and then a year and a bit. Then, um, myself and, um, Chris kind of, can't remember, but I, re- I recall like saying to him, do you want to like just um, start playing the old songs again? And I think me and him may have jammed like on two, one or two occasions. And then I roped in somebody else to play bass. And then after a while, we actually got um, somebody to do vocals. And then that was all to sort of work towards um, then, you know, doing gigs for real. Okay. So say that was about like 2004, 2003. The real, I guess, beginning is when you start playing live. So mm. we didn't start playing live until the end of 2006. Then like our second gig was at the very start of 2007. So that's kind of really when we sort of began playing live. Yeah. And uh, I was looking through your Facebook page there and uh, on the Rabbit Bitch of the North Facebook page, Whoever, I'm not sure who runs the page, but whoever does, I posted up a picture of you saying 14 years ago, you were playing a live gig and it was in some weird circumstance. It was like behind a, a fence or something in some bar or something like that. Oh, um, that was that was Joe. And I think that the photo um, was in Katie Daly's. That's and, it. Uh, that's it, yeah. That's the like, um, they have like a, a raised part of the bar and that was reserved for when the bands played and it was like a Saturday afternoon gig. Mm. Back then we were actually a four piece. So that would have been like, um, I, when I was saying earlier, we had a bit of time without Joe. And then when we got Joe back in again, there was like a year, maybe sort of in the background, working on trying to get to the point where we could play live. And then that was probably one of the really early gigs. That was maybe like, that could have been like maybe our eighth show maybe back right, then. Okay. So, okay, so very early days. Um, can I ask, uh, the name obviously is is quite distinctive. Uh, who came up with the name Rabbit Bitch of the North? And does it have any significance or did you just think it was like a kind of aggressive sounding name? Or where did it come from? I suppose actually like a good degree of what you said there is why it did sound appealing. Um, it does sound, it has that like aggressive sort of sound to it. But um, there were a couple of band names kicking around when we were, this is in the bedroom era of me and Joe just playing, right? Yeah. So, I'm pretty sure actually we were still in still in school when the name we came up with the name and um, I had there were a couple of ideas kicking around and one of them was rabid bitch and I think the of the north bit came more in a we kind of got this weird idea in our heads we really wanted to like have a reference somehow to where we were from right so we're we're from the north of Ireland so that's how I just bolted the two together and that's how we had rabbit bitch of the north okay um it reminds me of um just reading about motorhead in the early days they wanted to call the band bastard but then the record yeah. companies wouldn't have any of it so do, do you think in any way the name has held you back at all like are, are there people who may not want to book you or put that on a poster or anything like that or has it caused any issues well you see um back in uh back then like 
being called bastard you know i remember reading about like lemmy saying about the name and stuff and like you know they had top of the pops to play on like where yeah. were where, where are we gonna play you know <laughs> I think top of the pops was going like you know i i can see what you mean it, you know maybe some people have been put off by the name but you see now like i mean metal doesn't really exist in those sort of circles anymore you don't get metal on prime time or you know terrestrial tv you know yeah. metal now exists solely in like um underground's the wrong word for it but metal actually exists beyond everything now and you know for a lot of things that i don't like about the internet it is allowed to thrive because of the internet and it won't matter now you know whether you ever get on tv again or whatever because you know, you're always going to be able to survive now because I think um, the internet has allowed metal to um, connect all over the world. I, I 100% agree, yeah. So I, I think metal and I, I'd even say underground, underground metal bands or bands on the rise, let's say, I think have flourished in recent years with the likes of social media and even Spotify and things like that because it gives you uh, like a shop window into the band that didn't exist previously. Like previously, obviously you had to go to a shop and you were actually physically met with, you know, hundreds of CDs and you mightn't necessarily have heard of a band and you had to go and spend your money on something. But now I think it's, it's much more accessible. Um, certainly for bands like you or bands at your level, um, I find it very accessible and I think it's, it's changed things for the better in a lot of ways. Oh, it, it has, um, like I said, we'll never need the, the outlet of having to try and get on the one music show that used to exist, like Motorhead might have, you know, and they did, you know, they made it on top of Pops like, but I mean, we don't ever have to rely on that ever again. Yeah. We don't need it anymore. Um, we've got, we can, we have our own platform now, you know, as Metlers like. Mm. So um, that's, a, that is a good thing. Um, I still think like there's lots of negativity about like social media and all that shit, but mm. it really does allow fans to stay in touch it allows bands to stay in touch with their fans and also promote themselves and be an entity, you know, without needing like, you know, local music talent shows and shit like that. You don't need that anymore. Yeah, you know? that's true. Okay. Can I ask you a question here? As I'm looking at you here on the zoom call, uh, what prompted the haircut? I would have thought you'd be a long hair, uh, heavy metal lifer. Just going to be honest with this. Um, I was thinking about this because I, I I wonder if you're going to ask me. <laughs> so, I have um, to. All right. Well, I'll just come out with it then. I'm sure hopefully people don't frown, but I was actually losing my hair. All right. Okay. So uh, I saved up a lot of money and um, I knew the day would come when I needed to get like, or it was just like to the point where I wouldn't be able to do it anymore and um, or have it long, you know, because it would just look too bad. Hmm. So I got a hair transplant. Okay. Right. Well, breaking news here on the uh, fucking metal. Uh, how did that work out? Is it, is it, was it successful? Yeah. So um, still like, it's not even been a year. So there's still like a period of time where, you know, um, you're, you're getting like the bulk of it now, but I mean, there's still another, say six months left in sort of seeing like the full outcome of it. You know what I mean? So, okay. And now the reason like you were saying, you thought I was a, how did you describe it there? I like that. A long lifer. hair, heavy metal lifer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that, that is why I actually went to those measures because the whole aim of me doing that is so I can grow it back long again because okay. it meant that much to me. And that might seem really silly and it doesn't mean you need to have long hair to be a metler or whatever. But to me, all the years of abuse like that I used to get in school and like onwards just from people for being a metler and just having that look. Yeah. And it was like, now the thing that I had that I, I fought to keep for so long is le is like going without my, you know, I have no control over this. Right. And then I was just like, you know what it is? There's fucking things you can do nowadays. Like, so um, that's what I did. Well, I mean, the way you describe it, it's part of your identity. So, like, I mean, if you look at Ozzy Osbourne, who's in his early 70s, he is a solid hairline as well. <laughs> that's uh, that's not uh, natural, I don't think. Like, So, I mean, if it's good enough for Ozzy. Well, I mean, I don't even know, like, did he have anything done? Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not really a, like, 
some people probably think like it's a real vanity thing like but when it starts to make you feel like you can't leave the house and you know you need to cover it up and stuff and actually that's probably like that's quite a bit of um the bandana thing like in our photograph together oh yeah you do wear a bandana a lot actually yeah i never put two and two together sorry it's probably quite a sensitive topic i didn't really think about it before i asked sorry you see that was that was for convenience so sometimes I, i use like special stuff to cover it up and then um, sometimes I would just use a bandana because it's obviously a gradual thing. Like I, I, I was losing mine for a long, long time before I ever needed to start wearing a bandana. Yeah. And it used to be that thick. I had plenty of years to go before it started to look bad. So fuck it. I, I wanted to have long hair again. So I went and did what I needed to do to get um, get her back. <laughs> and it's uh, thankfully it's it's paid off like so. Fuck it indeed. Yeah, you have to do what makes you happy. Um, okay, so I might move on a little bit. Uh, so you're obviously based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. Um, and I, I mean, I know of a couple of places. I know there's the Limelight and I know there's the Voodoo. But what, what is the metal scene like in Belfast at the moment? Are, are there lots of places you can play or are there only maybe a couple? I know in Dublin, there's really only a few smaller venues for bands like metal bands. Surprisingly, I guess, compared to Dublin, because it's so small, you know, there's probably... There's probably as many places to play in Belfast as there is in Dublin, but that for the size of Belfast, that kind of equates to more. Yeah. But um, yeah, you mean you've got like some of the venues we've played over the years haven't really, they're not regular metal um, venues. So like the, the only two regular ones would be the Voodoo and the limelight there's been a few other ones like we've played the empire music hall which is quite a famous one but i mean they don't really have metal in there regularly so unfortunately the majority of shows are in those two venues and that's again mostly down to um james loveday who like he's our manager and he also he's the main promoter up here so if it wasn't for him doing um, gigs in those two places, geez, I don't know where the metal metal fans would go to see their gigs like because it's been him for best part of 20 years. like. Yeah, so I, I found out about him only recently. So I saw the message he put up, uh, to, or I think Joe, I think it runs, you said runs your Facebook page, um, <laughs> put, put up a message that he recorded just about how the coronavirus has affected the arts and specifically concerts and metal and all that type of stuff. Um, so he seems really heavily involved in the, in the scene in Northern Ireland. Uh, he's behind the Distortion Project. He is, yeah. He's also got um, ties with um, guys down south as well. So he's, um, you know, he, he's connected. Um, I guess he is the link um, from promoters in the south. He is the link between um, them and the north. So there's, a, there's, there's quite a lot of, obviously, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, like, but there's quite a lot of cross-promotion going on and quite a lot of um, working together yeah. for the common good of, putting on shows and bringing, on, bringing over big bands. That's good to hear because a lot of, a lot of times people can get quite, um, like there can, there can be kind of rivalries or something between promoters and things like that. And it seems like rather than that, people are actually working together for the betterment of everybody, um, which is obviously better for the scene in general. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the sort of guy James is. And like, you know, he's going to work with, he, he, he's going to willingly want to work with people because perhaps they can hatch you know, good arrangements that allows him then to bring him over somebody that maybe off his own steam, he wouldn't be able to, you know, and, you know, it's all about connections as well. So, um, yeah, of course. And, um, you know, so it's, it's better, Northern Ireland too small. Um, it's better for the scene to work as um, a, a, an island. So, you know what I mean? That's yeah. the best way to do it, like, in my opinion. It certainly makes sense. I'd like to go back to something you said a few minutes ago. So you were talking about being in school and getting a lot of stick for being like a heavy metaler. Um, and I'm thinking maybe that's probably 20, 20 years ago or so. And I'm just wondering, has, have people's opinions changed, do you think, in the mainstream towards heavy metal or to the, you know, the types of guys who walk around with their patch jacket and their long hair? Or do you still find you still get some of that stick uh, in 2020? You see, I don't know if some of that was because maybe I looked younger. But... Um... I personally don't get any shit anymore. Um, I think you're right. Attitudes have probably changed. There's a lot weirder looking people walking around. In my, <laughs> opinion, in my opinion, they're, they're, it was never weird because if anything, it was old fashioned. 
whenever mm-hmm. I was doing it. And it's not like it was things that people hadn't seen before, but you know, people would stare at you like you'd fucking two heads, like yeah. Back in the day, and um, I mean, Jesus, my school years was just insane. Like, like you know, <laughs> for part of it, I was the only guy in school with long hair. Jesus, okay. It's for a bit, and then he got it cut because he didn't he didn't like the pressure. Like you know. Yeah, <laughs> but um, in retrospect, you could have saved yourself a lot of mental anguish if you had just caved in, like. But nah, yeah. fuck it, I stuck it out, like. <clears throat> well, you were true to yourself, which is a good thing. Um, yeah, yeah. No, you didn't sell out to the short-haired fucking uh, glitterati. <laughs> when I was younger, like I would have said, like you know, fucking, you're not a metaler, you don't have like long hair. But now, you know, I, I realize it's it's more than that. But I mean, for me, it was an extension of the, you know, the patches jacket and leather jacket and bullet belts and stuff like that. Mm. But even then, right, this is, this is the thing. Even then when we were doing that, we were old hat with metlers because people were getting the fuck up with Deftones and corn and yeah. all stuff that we really don't like. Tra- trapped in 1999, you might say. <laughs> There's a song I think about, similar things like that some band wrote i don't know i wanted to ask you about that actually i was gonna ask you later but seeing as it's come up now um so i think i remember joe doing a bit of an intro to this song when i saw you in the voodoo or not the voodoo on the rocks um a couple of years ago and i think he said if correct me if i'm wrong now but somebody accused your band of being trapped in 1979 uh based on your sound and your style and then you wrote the song trapped in 1999 as a result am i am i, am I right there or am i a bit off I think the date, the dates are probably wrong. Right. Um, he probably refer to um, people always say we're stuck in the eighties. The eighties, okay. So this one's about them because a lot of those people who said that are stuck in the nineties. Yeah, I get you. So that's that's kind of where I came from. So the song is basically a fuck you to people who like the bands Corn and the Deftones that you just mentioned, who are like looking down their noses at classic sounding heavy metal, but at the same time, they also have their own scene that they're almost stuck in as well well that's it um but i don't think that attitude exists anymore because those guys are like way those guys are old hat even more so than us i mean fuck does anyone listen to those bands anymore jesus i mean i mean revival like like revival revival is probably the wrong word but um i don't know i don't hear anyone talking about those bands anymore but at the time like the fuck we were so uncool for like in Venom and Accept and you know Judas Priest it was like whoa you're not wearing the like the latest trainers man you're wearing like trainers trainers from like you know 10 years ago that's not (laughs) but like now they're a victim of the same thing we've had and but I don't think it matters anymore they probably don't have that attitude anymore um yeah because they're they faded into some kind of obscurity and you know the funny, the funny thing is about that is that you'll still see the Deftones and Corn taken up very high on the bill spots at the likes of Download, and I agree with you. I don't hear too many people talking about those bands currently, but they're, they're still people. occupying those slots. You see, I think right. This is why I think this because do you know that kind of metal, right? If it's even metal, it doesn't. For me, it's not metal, right? Um, loads of people are probably cracking up right now, you know, when they hear this. Um. That music, even though, you know, you might even think it's more aggressive than some classic heavy metal, that music is more um, for the normal people, right? Yeah. The regular people who aren't in the metal. That music is actually a wee bit more, um, um, less alien to them than yeah, classic yeah. heavy metal is. So okay, yeah. that's why you get a lot of these normies and they're like, yeah, I was at like Slipknot and yeah they were so wild but like i'm also going to like um see um geez i don't know any current elton john or something (laughs) yeah i'm I'm also going to see um uh ed sheeran next week yeah (laughs) but like i was at slipknot and it was so wild and yeah you know i pissed in a beer cup and we (laughs) See, see those type of people right the the regular people that just sort of they're surface layer music fans. They're not heavily into one thing. Yeah. Those kind of people don't find that style of metal or late 90s metal or early 2000s metal as alien as they do if you stuck on 
um, Saxon Wales style. Isn't it funny? Yeah, it's like it is heavy music, especially Slipknot and and Corn as well to a degree. But like, it's almost like it's heavy metal for the masses, like you were saying there. It's acceptable. It's like these are these are four or five acceptable bands, and even if you're a mainstream person, you can like these. But Christ Almighty, don't, like you said, don't listen to Saxon or anyone who's actually you know trying to create a really nice sounding song. <laughs> well, that this is it, right? Is it even metal? It's metal by association because there's guitars in it drums and it's aggressive is that is that necessarily what heavy metal is about um for me no no but um it is it's been branded metal 25 years ago whenever it fucking first raised its ugly head mm. so by association it's got the metal tag but is it metal uh, you know personally for me nah it never will be but there you go what do i know yeah, I'm, trapped in the, I'm trapped in the 80s. Of course you are, yeah. Trapped. Uh, so I made a point on the first episode of this podcast. I was just speaking to my friend uh, at the time. Uh, maybe, I don't know if you'll agree with this now, but I, this is what I think. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of new metal either. Uh, I don't really like any of those bands we just talked about. But I think the likes of Slipknot and Korn and all that becoming popular in the late 90s, early 2000s helped to repopularize classic metal. Um, and I think classic metal kind of has them to thank for that a small bit. Because, and I'll give you an example. I remember reading the likes of Kerrang! back when I was young. They did it like an Iron Maiden special in 2003. And you had every single new metaler in that uh, magazine doing an interview saying how they were heavily influenced by Iron Maiden. Um, and even in interviews in general back then, they'd be referencing Judas Priest and they'd be referencing bands like that. And I think it kind of helped to create a bit of a groundswell for all those classic bands. And even the likes of the Ozfest coming along in the 90s where Ozzy would headline, but underneath him were all of these new metal bands. So I think in some ways, even though the music maybe wouldn't be of your preference or mine, I think classic metal almost has uh, that, that metal to tank a bit, or maybe you completely disagree with me, but that's my opinion. No, I mean, I get it. Um, I mean, I can't only give my opinion and it doesn't necessarily have to be right, but... Mm. I didn't really think that, right? But when I was talking to James, um, who I mentioned earlier, you know, Distortion Project James, our manager, um, he sort of said that to me before. And I remember going, I had never think that before. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I guess it maybe has, but I didn't realize because for me, it was, you know, it had been, it was with me before. So um, I didn't maybe see that because it was always a constant for me. And then I just was really happy when you know i heard of bands like portrait and stuff i was like whoa this is good yeah there's other bands who are playing that really untrendy type of music and they're not old so you know it was it was cool but maybe you're right um maybe it has um maybe it had a, a, a it allowed it sort of to come back around again full circle but then i also agree, think that Basically, at the time, this is when the internet and stuff was starting to get legs in that way anyway. So the people in the classic metal were just finding each other, I think. You know, no longer were you like, I used to write away and get like catalogs for yeah. you know, people who had, you know, they were selling stuff basically independently. And you had this, you know, go through these catalogs and then, you know, suddenly that was replaced with, there were, were websites with, you know, classic heavy metal only really being sold. So, you know, I think That's it was true. just a, a natural progression, but you're right. It probably did bounce back, you know, the, the classic um, heavy metal reflected back. And then younger kids, like all those kids that we played down to, you know, in Limerick, for example, mm. that was them guys finding classic metal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, actually, I wanted to ask you a question there. So, uh, seeing as we're kind of on the topic now, so uh, we've talked about touring, you know, in in Belfast or whatever the, the venues you play. But you've also done a lot of touring outside of your own country. You've you've played with the likes of Night Demon and Seven Sisters and Midnight Force and a lot of bands people might consider to be part of the new wave of traditional heavy metal. Is that a scene that you feel you belong to? I know your band predates it really by a, a good few years, but do you feel you belong to any sort of scene or? Are you just playing the music you've always wanted yeah, to play? Yeah, I, li I like that you referenced the pre-date because I kind of wonder, does anyone, um, like, you know, here I go mentioning Motorhead again. Um, 
So yeah, Motorhead, new wave of British heavy metal, right? No. No, definitely but not. They got lumped in with it. So you could almost see us like that too. But for um some people understand that we were we were having to go on stage with all those type of extreme metal bands and stuff in our early years because there was nothing else for us. So um did you know I don't give a shit what anyone says. We were laying down groundwork for what is now. Um, do we see ourselves as part of what you described? Yeah, we have to be because I think um, strength in numbers and, you know, they don't play music that offends me terribly. So I'm happy to coexist with those bands. But I mean, ultimately, like, shit, we were, we were fucking doing this way before those guys. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, not being a dickhead, but I'm going to say like, you know, I'm taking that accolade, like. Yeah, that's fair enough. No, that's a fair point. Uh, and it does remind me of what you were saying there about Motorhead being lumped in. Yeah, you, you also had the likes of Judas Priest almost being lumped in. Oh, um, of course. Yeah. With the new wave. They British were just the first one, you know. You know, Budgie as well got lumped in, and Saxon were actually um, going before that as well, and Maiden. But you know, the collective wave came nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and like I mean, the likes of Judas Priest were the old wave of british heavy metal i would say or else who was the old wave other than black sabbath like um because if there's a new wave there has to be an old wave and then yet because they released an album in 1980 all of a sudden they're part of the new wave which is it, i don't think it was right i don't think they were part of any new wave really um, no i mean you know me and you know that but you know to the uh to the new guys getting into this type of music they're going to find it through association by the new album the same way i did like when I got into like metal and stuff, you know, the first band I got into was Motorhead, and then I kept reading on Motorhead toured with Saxon. Motorhead toured with Saxon. Now I was like, Saxon, I'm gonna try this band. Yeah. Saxon, new wave of British heavy metal. What is this? And then you know, it's just it's just natural progression. So, you know, whenever younger people are getting into this, maybe or new people, um, they're gonna be ignorant to the details like that. So you don't mind if somebody slips up and goes. Yeah, Motorhead, they were part of the no, no album, you know. But we know, you know, it's just, just details that aren't really important. <laughs> but like. So the likes of those bands that I mentioned, um, Night Demon, Seven Sisters, Midnight Force, and, and several others, um, would you have any, like, would you have strong ties with these bands because you've been on tours with them? Would you have, would you have friends in these bands? Yeah, I mean, we've played with some of those bands and, um, you know, you, you kind of get um, their relationships sort of become forged and connections forged so you know they'd probably help us and we'd probably help them get shows and if we can do stuff together we do not night demon obviously because they're they're american right but yeah. um you know i'm sure if they were based over here there'd be more um association but yeah you know like we we're really glad to be playing with um, those bands and i hope they're really glad to be playing with us like you know i just um i think it's for some of those bands it's maybe a bit um Maybe a bit easier in England because there's more of them over there. Whereas, like, you know, there's only been like a couple of classic sort of heavy metal bands over here. Um, and one of them, unfortunately, is now gone. Uh, At a Stereo Nasty. Yeah. Yeah. I was very disappointed to hear that they broke up. Um, we loved all those guys. Yeah. And we were really glad to, you know, have them. Like, I remember playing with them for the first time. Like, it was really awesome. It was yeah. awesome. With Portrait, actually, in the. Is it the Gypsy Rose? Gypsy Rose, yeah, it's gone now. Fuck, we played it downstairs and that, and that was a hell of a show. Mm. What, what, ha a what happened with Serio Nasty? I don't, I don't know if they publicized it, or maybe you don't want to say if you know. But uh... No, I don't know, but I have a, a fair idea. It's probably real life. Just mm. That's unfair. It's not real life because the band is real and um, everybody takes it seriously. But, um, you know, maybe that's stuff outside of the band was just getting too much. It's hard to keep a band together. It's been really fucking hard. Yeah. This. And I, I, I assume you all have obviously day jobs. The band isn't your full-time yeah, job. It's, it's brutal. Having a day job and having a band is brutal. Mm. It really is. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, so I actually saw, um, you mentioned the Siege of Limerick or just playing in Limerick in general. I saw... Um, Stereo Nasty at that a couple of years ago, and Seven Sisters were also at that one as well. You, uh, Rabbit Bitch weren't at that one, but um, I, I found you've no, played it more than anyone else. It was 2018. I don't, I don't think you were there, but I, I didn't see you anyway. It was the one Primordial we were at as well. They did two days. Um, we played with Primordial. I think we played one with Primordial as well. 
Well, I, I would have watched you <laughs> if you were there. I don't think you were there. But uh, anyway, um, what I was going to say was that, that that festival, you mentioned extreme metal earlier. earlier and I, I find that festival is kind of caters towards the more extreme metal market. But then it does have the likes of you or Seven Sisters or, or Stereo Nasty at the time. Uh, and they're like kind of, for me, they're like diamonds in the rough. But I find the balance of bands is quite, heavily weighted towards more extreme metal uh, and maybe it's because of the lack of classic sounding metal bands in Ireland and that's something I wanted to ask you Do, are, are there more like are there more bands in Ireland that I'm not aware of because I, I don't see too many playing like a classic style of heavy metal at all okay well before I answer your question I'm just going to ask you a question go ahead do you think um the more because there's obviously multiple genres here right but do you think um the more extreme metal genres are more popular here i seem to think that they are just by the likes of the gigs that get booked and that's well that's that's why then that festival is that way yeah Yeah. okay that makes sense i hadn't really thought of it but just thinking of dme promotions the gigs that are booked regularly are the more extreme metal definitely um so yeah that 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 question (laughs) to my question makes a lot of sense this is where though because even back in the day you know we had the the thing with the new metal era, but even with extreme metal bands, I've felt um, through my years resentment from them. And you know what? I don't feel like I'm affiliated with them either. So I don't really care about that, but um, I've felt like they don't really, um, I think it's different now. Like it it is more of a collective unit now, but I've felt like um, they didn't see themselves the same as us either. Like they wear old hat. And they're playing extreme, and that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my, it's just it's just something I've never really been into. Like, I, I, like I've tried to listen to some of those, some of those bands, and I watched several at the, the Siege of Limerick, and I just find it. Do you know what it is? It's like everything is so extreme <laughs> to use that word. Like, it's the vocals, the music, everything is just so in your face, and I can't pick any performance out of it. It just sounds like like really loud. And it's often accompanied by screaming vocals. And it's like, I can't pick any individual band member's performance out of this. It's just, to me, a lot of it is just noise. I sound like an old fuck now, but uh, that's how it sounds to me. No, you don't sound like an... You mean you're describing yourself as like sounding old because you've got that point of view? Well, you know what I mean? Like, it's the type of thing your parents would have said to you when you were younger and you were listening to Judas Priest. Like, that's just noise. (laughs) You see, um, everything you just said... is 100% me and the other two guys in the band as well, right? Mm. But this is what blows my mind. I'm actually going to go back on a couple of things we've actually spoke about. But yeah. um, this is what gets me. The people that like both. I can't understand that either. I, I, I find it so difficult. Mind. Yeah. Blows my mind. But anyway, um, like, so what I was going to say about how I feel like there's more of collectivity with the extreme bands and this, you know the likes of us. Um, and a good example of that is the Siege of Limerick. So you're right, there is probably more extreme stuff, right? But I mean, um, you know, Tall John that puts that festival on, I think he laces it with then guys like us and, you know, guys like Seven Sisters. Um, and, you know, that's a cool way you described it, the diamonds in the rough. And yeah. it literally can be seen as the diamonds in the rough because you've got the super extreme and then you've got the more classic. Yeah, I mean, that's we it. fucking we we love it down there, like, and we the reaction we get down there would suggest that classic metal like has a big following down there, like, so. Yeah, and I, that's what I find baffling as well. So Seven Sisters had an enormous crowd at the gig that I was at, and they were in one of the headlining slots. They were on late in the evening, and I'm just like you said there. I'm just sitting there going, but you were just watching this other band just yep. screaming their head off, and you know, understand. distortion turned up to eleven, and like, and you were banging your head to that like a maniac now i'm not saying people can't enjoy other types of music i listen to all sorts of different music other than metal but within the genre liking completely <laughs> polar opposites to me it's just unusual it's like you, you love the guy screaming his face off and then you also like the band playing a really melodic almost english folky kind of music i'm talking about seven sisters here um like it's just it's mad to me yeah um and it's very not very often i come across anyone like you with that attitude that's pretty much like me i don't understand that either Funny. Um, okay cool it's cool if they can yeah. you know because we just want them enjoy that other stuff but i mean obviously we just want them to you know i want to be able to have a conversation with them about like um uh, tank 
or um, yeah, yeah. Venom, you know. Um, so if they can have a conversation about like um, Napalm Death or something with somebody else, that's cool. But I mean, for me, as long as um, as long as they're they're they are into our style, then that's fine with me. But personally, I just can't get my head around it because it's you know, and I, I like thrash, and I think thrash is pretty aggressive. But then as soon as this, the vocals start turning into like you know whatever, um, yeah. it's just I lose all sight of it. A good a good band who's kind of like a compromise to me would be the likes of Primordial. So I they're obviously in the kind of extreme metal bracket, but Alan Averill's vocals you can still hear a tune. You know you can. Uh, especially in the more recent last the last five albums let's say uh, you can still hear a melody there and like the songs are structured more like um a song rather than something that just wants to beat you to death with a hammer you know <laughs> so I, I find they're a good band for like the best of both worlds you know yeah i mean that that is cool but you kind of somebody might describe that as the band are more maturing so what does that mean as you mature you start to write stuff a bit more song ish you know yeah more melody or whatever, you know, um, I don't know. I, I can't obviously speak for them. Did they mature more, you know, less, whatever? Is that what happens? These extreme bands, they mature and then they suddenly start writing songs. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, the, it's the party line anyway in the music industry. I remember uh, Bruce Dickinson did an interview like years ago and he was talking about the likes of Slipknot and he was saying, I just don't understand what the long-term future is of these bands. They're extremely angry. They're expressing themselves as being extremely angry. You're not going to have. You're not going to be that angry forever, especially if you get successful. So, like, what are they going to be angry about in twenty years? <laughs> I always thought that was very good. Yeah, you're right. Um, that's a good point um, from Bruce. Um, is it all based on anger? I don't know. I actually think <clears throat> so. We we were talking about how the more extreme genres are like bigger here in Ireland. Yeah. And um, I don't know why that is. I'm assuming you don't really know why it is, but it, it just seems to be a thing, right? I don't know it why like, it is. Yeah. But like, has there got like some kind of some kind of thing where through the most aggressive music they feel like tough or something? Yeah. Because the music's so tough, and that makes them feel, you know, I don't know. I, I I've often thought about like this. What is it that they get from it? Because they're certainly not getting what I get from metal. Well, they're, um, they're not walking away humming something anyway afterwards, that's for sure, because <laughs> it's not possible. Yeah, you see, this is where then, you know, how can it be the same when people are, like, getting off on a completely different element of it? I mean, heavy metal is, is heavy music, but it's still, um, it's still got a song there, and, you know, it can be... You know, you can scratch the surface of stuff that's very, very aggressive, you know, and that's where then I would say, you know, um, some thrash touches those boundaries. Um, yeah. Some of the bands, like, I can think of, like, in my head, um, early artillery, you know, borderline death metal elements to some of the vocals, but it's, like, stops just short before it becomes a whole other genre based on a wee tiny element that they've introduced. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Same exactly. with Venom, I mean... Venom are responsible for an entire genre of metal that I have no interest in whatsoever. <laughs> black metal, yeah. It's funny, you know, all right, yeah. But then they don't really sound anything like the black metal bands nowadays. Like, it's just that... That's what I mean. They planted a seed in, in people's minds and um, influenced What them. those guys have done is they've taken elements or a tiny element of what was there with Venom and made... Um, this is where it runs out of steam for me, and it's like... You know, you've taken the extreme factor and then you've made a whole genre out of it. And for me, that exhausts itself very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, but fuck, they managed to make a whole genre out of it and have bands have been going for years and years and years. And Jesus, I don't know. We're just not. I mean, we're just not those type of people. <laughs> Fair enough. So, so I don't get. I don't. I don't get what they're. I don't get what um, they enjoy about that. Those genres, like at all. Okay. Uh, so let's have a chat about uh, some other gigs that you've done. I was watching a video of you there playing Bloodstock 2016. That must have been a great experience. That's like a, one of the better heavy metal festivals uh, that's around yeah, at the moment. I mean, yeah, it is, but there's always stress factor involved and um, stuff that you don't realize, like from um, being an audience member, what's going on. So, um, yes, when we finished playing the set, it was great. But at, just before we went on, I thought I had everything sorted out and then I had like gear problems. And um, right. um, 
basically then like what happens then is the, the experience you have then is flying by the seat of your pants. And sometimes you don't actually get to enjoy the full thing properly then, you know, relish the stage experience. But it was one of them scenarios where then it was like, fuck it, let's go. So when we um, started playing, we started playing and we just had to do what we could. I don't actually think the um, performance that day was great, but I mean, the reception was so. And um, you, you mentioned gear there. So what type of gear are you bringing with you? Obviously, you're bringing your guitars. Do you bring amps? Does the drummer bring drums as well? Or do you kind of use some of the gear that's available uh, at a festival like that? I try um, taking as much gear as I can. Um, and over the years, I've sort of worked on various setups that um, allow me to get on planes and take things that are maybe necessary and also, you know, integral to what I would say is my sound. But um, you kind of need to balance between what you can take and that, if you get me. So um, the last show I played, we were in Germany and it was like a completely different rig that I sort of... um, come up with and um it was minimal and i was able to get on a plane the rest of the guys just take their instruments um for bloodstock i i think chris actually did take some drums i think he took a snare probably his kick pedal and maybe even some cymbals if i've got that wrong then um i've got that wrong but sometimes it's just the bare essentials but i always take more um because it's a wee bit more for me guitar based music it's a wee bit more integral to me and I really care about my own sound whether that's shit to somebody else or whatever but I really care about it that much that I gotta take certain things or else I don't I'm not gonna be happy fair enough so you were mentioning Chris takes some drums so is there kind of like a house drum set you can use at festivals like this or how does that work like that's where I'm thinking I may have got that wrong because right. pretty, pretty amazing drum kit there <clears throat> but he, he still may have taken cymbals I don't know yes right. but generally and this is how a lot of things actually in this era of like metal bands and stuff works really well. Um, there's a, a large degree of gear sharing that goes on. And this actually allows bands who don't even have the means to, you know, travel in a, a, a bus or a van. This allows bands to um, play shows and go like far afield, like, you know, other countries or whatever. Yeah. And on the bare minimum. And it's great because it, um, you know, some of the shows we have done, like we may never have done if, if you had to cart your gear all around the world, provided. which you basically, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, like everybody's doing this on a shoestring budget. Everything's got to be factored in, you know. Um, you don't have the money to take super, you know, exp- like expensive pieces of gear or heavy pieces of gear. You, you know, you just can't fit that in the hold of the plane, sir. You mm. know. So you've got to like, you've got to sort of be sensible about it, but at the same time, um, this new sort of era of gear sharing, as a, like I said, it's just allowed bands, I think, to get a bit further. And it's a good thing, but, you know, providing that the house gear is decent, like, you know, but um, it's, a, it's a good thing because I think it's um, shit. When I think about like Iron Maiden driving about and they had a green bus and they had a whole crew, yeah. Even in the early years, they had guys doing lights and all, and all that shit must have been theirs. They must have had, they probably had their own PA, in fact, you know. And um, I don't know how the hell, we couldn't exist probably back in that era, simply on the basis of those things, the, the equipment, you know. Yeah, yeah, okay. Basically, basically you, you're doing it on the cheap now, you know. Yeah, but it sounds like it's it's for the benefit of everybody, though. Like uh, you've mentioned there, like there's the gigs you couldn't have done if you had to bring your own gear. So uh, that seems like yeah. a, a nice development in, in the industry. 100%, yeah. Um, to a degree, though, like sometimes I think um, if you're going to do that, you kind of need to have at least meet a certain standard of gear. I'll give you an example. Actually, that, that show with, um, that show with um, Night Demon in um, On The Rocks, um, you know, that sound man down there has, he went and bought loads of gear and it's all decent stuff. So that's a good, um, that's a good setup then where you show up and, um, you know, you've got decent guitar cabinets and it's going to be a, a decent drum kit. So, um, 
that's cool when you've got someone that's um, uh, looking after that stuff. And even though it's only house gear, it's it's a good standard. So the yeah the guys who don't have all their own gear with them are going to have um, like a certain standard of stuff to use. Like so, the the sound in that venue is actually really good. Like it's a small, dingy kind of dump and i mean that in the nicest possible way i love bars like that but uh the sound is is really good from the couple of gigs i've been to there i saw slough egg there a few years ago as well and um it's just really good sound well um on stage it's actually quite difficult um because i don't know if it's the, the shape of the stage or what's below because um there's quite a lot of uh low end which is like the bass mm. and um it's thrown me off a few times playing on stage so if it sounds, well, yeah, I suppose it does sound good, actually. I'm just thinking about when we, um, for some reason, the band um, Stallion, we played with in there, mm. German band. And I, I remember thinking they sounded great from off the stage. So, yeah, I suppose off the stage, it, it is pretty good sounding, actually. Again, that's um, down to like the good sound they've got down there and the decent gear. Fair but enough. when you're on stage, I personally find it very... There's quite a lot of um, like bass resonance, and right. sometimes you just can't hear nothing. It's just you know, but that's just part and parcel. You just gotta put it up and do the show, like. Just just keep your fingers crossed and hope for the best. I've done so many shows with that, um, you know, mantra. Very good. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to ask you about uh, Bloodstock. So it's not about music really, but um, it's related. I, I noticed you're wearing a very nice uh, Judas Priest Ram It Down t-shirt. And I've been looking for a t-shirt like that for a long time. Do you mind me asking, where did you get that? Quality, you're obviously a man who has good taste. I like that. <laughs> oh, I love that t-shirt. Um, you know, it's really weird too as well. Somebody pointed it out and went, oh, that guy, uh, your guitarist, he's wearing a, he said the Joe. He's wearing a Ram It Down t-shirt. Excellent. You know, I was like, yeah. Somebody's tipping the hat to my t-shirt. Where did I get that t-shirt? Um, this is probably bad, actually. It's a bootleg. Right. I was wondering, because do you know why I like it? It's because it has the Judas Priest logo in really large lettering. And it's, it's fucking stra- good. It's straight. It's, the, it's straight across the top of the chest rather than diagonal, which a lot of their uh, t-shirts have, because the logo is always positioned diagonally on the album covers but i love the fact that it's really thick lettering and it goes right across the top and now that i think of it it does look like one of those bootleg t-shirts you get in like thailand or something like that Actually, um, hang on i don't think i don't think the lettering is going across the front i'm trying to think now i don't have a handy for me to look okay but, um the where where um i got that from was um i think i discovered this guy in about 2010 around about then i got a few bootlegs off him he's um like some guy who prints t-shirts in Bulgaria, and um, he sells on eBay, and they're fairly cheap. But um, you know, it's lasted me a good while. But he he was doing like um, the the band I always remember for an example um, for, of this is um, Accept. Yeah. I remember looking at all Accept's merch and going, "Pure shite! I don't like any of these T-shirts. They don't have any of the classic albums. Where is my Russian roulette?" So I went elsewhere to look for t-shirts and one of the ones I got off this guy was Russian Roulette and there it is. It's the album artwork. Huge all over a t-shirt. So yeah. you know, that led me then to the Ram It Down one and I was like, well, I want Ram It Down. I don't see Judas Priest official merchandise with Ram It Down. Or they'll maybe have the classic album artwork but it'll be tiny. There'll be yeah. more of the t-shirt than there will be the print. That's it. Like I, I often find the bootleg T-shirts are better as well. So, and, and and they have obscure things. If you're if you're like me and you want something obscure, so like I bought um, not that I even like the album that much, but I really like the artwork. I bought a Black Sabbath Forbidden T-shirt online, and it was from a bootleg place. So it has Black Sabbath in big lettering across the top. Then it has the artwork, but without the band name on the artwork as well. And it's just it's a fucking beautiful T-shirt. And uh, like the actual official Black Sabbath merchandise line is never gonna release that t-shirt ever because that album doesn't exist anymore obviously um so <laughs> but uh, like I, I find that there are, there are websites which have bootleg t-shirts which are oftentimes a lot better than the official merchandise from the band you see i think that guy realized this you know and i'm sure there's loads of other people doing the same thing but i think that guy um realized that he was like except don't have a russian roulette t-shirt on their merchandise line yeah you know? Yeah, I think though they've tried to fill it since I've noticed Judas Priest trying to get in on the um, 
doing like Jesus, you'd never have got a turbo t-shirt like, but I think they can do like um I think they have like official merch, but it's still always like crappy. Like I want a screaming for vengeance one. And yeah. the screaming for vengeance official one is like a tiny circle. Jesus, make it a bit bigger. <laughs> I know what you mean, yeah. I'm all, I'm all about the, the lettering and all the type of stuff and the art being bigger. Um Okay, um, so actually, let's uh, move on to another topic, which is probably of interest to the listener. You were at rehearsal today, uh, you mentioned to me earlier. Is that rehearsing old songs, new songs? Is there a new album in the works for Rabbit Bitch of the North or anything you can talk about now? Yeah, um, we were doing new material. Um, this is the whole second album thing, which is currently in the works. That's been like uh, really difficult just over this whole you know pandemic thing. Like, of course, um, just the motivation like really takes a kick in the balls. And just to put things into perspective, before this all kicked off, we had done our first show in Germany, and it's the only show we did um, this year. And um, that was that was the beginning of us having a busy year, and that all just went down the toilet. And um, I'm sure lots of other bands were in the same, the same um, situation as us. Mm. Um, and we debuted two never played before songs that are going to be on the, the next album. We Very. debuted them at that gig. And as far as I know, those German legends in Ostessen, I believe the, the, um, the area is, um, they, they seemed to enjoy it. So that was a, we needed to do a, a really long set um, for that particular show. And um, well, I wanted to put newer songs in there, even though these guys probably had never heard us before and it wouldn't really matter whether the songs were old or new yeah. to those guys. But, you know, it helped flesh out the set and it was good to, you know, let's trial run these like so. The, the second album is in the works and I could probably say that um, 95% of it or 90% of it is in existence. Currently. Okay. Um, however, there is only say 50% solidified. So there's eight songs, could be potentially nine, but um, eight songs is the, the, the plan. And um, there is a four songs that are completely done and what we did at rehearsal today we basically were just going over those um those four that we know okay so can we expect more of what we had on nothing but a bitter taste or has the sound developed in any way or is there anything you'd like to say about that yeah um we like we aren't a band that um, we're going to start. Um, I think some bands get this notion of progression and they they lose the plot almost. Um, but then you get other bands that are maybe a bit too, you know, like, and I love ACTC by the way, but then you get bands like that. So we don't really want to be that where it's the semi-semi every time. But um, we also want to be, you know, bring in something new. Um, and um, I believe that in the second album, what we're doing is expect more of the same, but with um, stuff that you know you'll maybe didn't hear on the first album. You know, dynamics that weren't in songs. There, you know, things that we haven't tried before, um, and also like you know, different display of like um, our music abilities, if you like. Mm that um, people maybe either didn't think we could do or um, didn't think we would do or, you know. So um, just a, a bit more, it's like a platform to kind of, let's try and do a song that has, you know, a wee bit more complexity or let's try a song that's um, a bit slower or, you know, just it's in the second album, let's um, do more of the same, but like build upon the foundations of the first one. And um get a bit more um, dynamics in there basically is the the main thinking behind um, the songs I think that um, have been written so far. 
Okay, so interesting times ahead for Rabbit Bitch of the North fans. Uh, I think I'm, I'm going to wrap this up soon enough. There's one final question I wanted to ask you, though. Um, it's not a very, very consequential question or anything like that, but uh, I was scrolling through your Facebook page there, and uh, I saw a picture of Kane Hodder, who was the actor who played uh, Jason Voorhees in a lot of the Friday the 13th films, uh, and he was holding a bag of Rabbit uh, Bitch of the North CDs. How did that photo come about, and, and where was that? Well... Um, Kane's a good friend of mine. I've got him on speed dial. No, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so a friend of Chris's was at, I believe, some kind of um, either like a horror movie or comic book kind of convention. And um, Kane Hodder was there and he um, met up with Kane and got like loads of things signed. Right. So this um, friend of Chris's um, had taken rabbit bitch um, material with him. I can't remember. I think it was EP. Can't remember. Did he have the album? He's ta- he take he's taken some of our products anyway. I think he has and, a, um, he has an EP in his hand, or maybe that collection of all the old stuff in his hand. As far as I can remember, just thinking of the picture. I think it might be because he, he's got the EP in his hand. I think, and then he's got like a bag of stuff, possibly. Yeah. The um the reason why that is is because um this friend of um Chris's new Kane Hodder apparently is a big metal fan. So ah. he figured I'm gonna give Kane Hodder my mate's band's music and see if he likes it. And either way, like Kane Hodder is getting exposed to Rabbit Bits of the North. So and then it obviously presented a good photo opportunity and then you know it's not something you're gonna put on your Facebook. So of course, yeah. So it's a win-win, really. So we can expect Rabbit Bitch of the North to feature in Friday the 13th, part 16, which releases in 2022. Well, do you know what? I See, personally, you know, it'd be cool if he liked it. I just hope he didn't listen to it and think, you know, he's like, ah, oh, Jesus, what's this? You know, ah, sure. but um, there you go. <laughs> Very good stuff. Right, look, I'm going to wrap it up there. I'd like to thank you very much for joining me on this episode. I think we had a great chat about loads of different things there and and lots of stuff that I didn't. uh, I had a few little bullet points there, but I I enjoyed the natural flow of conversation more so than the prepared things I wanted to discuss. So thanks very much for that. Um, If you like the sound of Rabbit Bitch of the North, even if you've never listened to them, if you you like what we talked about here today, you can check them out. Uh, They're on Spotify. They have a Twitter page and they're available on Facebook as well. So uh, thanks, Jerry, for joining me today. Um, any final words for the listener? Yeah, just hope, um, you know, everybody's looking after themselves. Like, um, all the Irish fans are looking after themselves. You know, we can't wait to get playing again for you. And, um, you know, anybody else in any other countries who, you know, haven't seen us yet, you know, hopefully next year we can get, um, get to do more shows and take Rabbit Bitch, you know, further field again but like you know just uh everybody keep uh keep safe and all that and um you know look after yourselves and hopefully uh they're looking forward to seeing us playing again so that was jerry mulholland from rabbit bitch of the north thanks again jerry for taking the time out this evening to do that with me it was very much appreciated uh keep your eye out on rabbit bitch of the north social media as well if you are interested in upcoming releases and news about the band, I believe there's going to be an announcement today or shortly afterwards to uh, discuss future projects and what's coming down the line for Rabbit Bitch of the North. And I'm going to play out this week with uh, not the feckin' metal team music, but a clip from the song Defending Two Castles, which features on their album Nothing But A Bitter Taste. It's an excellent track, and I think uh, for me, it's the song that I would use to recommend this band to potential listeners in the future. Just a bit of news about next week's podcast. My guest next week is going to be none other than Jarvis Leatherby, the singer, bass player, manager of Night Demon, who also manages bands like Visigoth, um, Midnight, um, Satan, Sarah Dungle, and he also plays bass in Sarah Dungle as well. So that uh, episode is already in the can. I had a great chat with Jarvis. Uh, we went down some interesting routes on that one as well. So that should be out on the 9th of October. That's the next episode of Feckin' Metal. Thanks for joining me this evening. This has been uh, Fergal Trainer from Feckin' Metal. And here's Rabbit Bitch of the North playing Defending Two Castles. (laughs) 